Abba Yahweh, this day, new day, walk with me, guide me, teach me, Father. The opportunity to share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom with others that you have allowed me to have this situation, this time to be able to do so. And that, Father God, that you have given me validation for this. Your validation is the only that I need, Father. I don't need to have any from mammon. You tell me it's good. You tell me to share your word. It's your business I am about, Father God, not theirs. Thank you. Hava Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Parakutos, Aman. So, brothers and sisters, going to share with you some things this morning and just kind of kick around and. The Holy Spirit decided to let me rest today. Thank you, Father. But, and I say that only in jest because when the Holy Spirit wakes me up at really, you know, early hours and starts conversing and sharing and showing and has me drawn into the word and to look things up, that's okay with me. It doesn't matter because he has something important to show me and that that hour is the hour he chose. Doesn't matter. That's his hour. And that's okay. And it should be that way with anyone. And it tells us not to quench a spirit. And by doing that, we shut the Holy Spirit off. So when the Holy Spirit has got us to do something or has somebody for us to talk to or takes us to someone, and I've shared this with you before. You're going around a bill. You're out on a walk on a day. You have no idea what's going on. You're thinking you might be, you know, thinking about how you're whistling a church tune or something. You go around a building and you, the corner of a building, and you just about slam into somebody. Not quite. I mean, you, you, you almost. And then the person looks up because they, they turn away and they realize that they know you. And you know them, but you just don't remember and they're trying to remember, and it's been two or three years gone by, and they look at you and say, wow, I was thinking really hard about you today for some reason. I got up this morning, and I remembered that you were always inviting me to go to church, and I didn't go, and today, I think I was supposed to meet you today. He said, I just feel that in my heart. I feel something. That's the Holy Spirit is talking. Hello? That's the way the Holy Spirit does things. Be cautious, though, when things like that happen, because that's the way the devil likes to operate, too, get in and make you think that it's your thought. But the Holy Spirit comes in in a quiet way with and you turn around and they say, man, I was thinking about you really hard this morning and here you are. You know, I was thinking about finding a church or going to a church and thinking about all the times that you had asked me. And then you share a little bit of scripture, you share something. And then that very specific scripture that you shared was the one that they were thinking about when they roused to start their day. The Holy Spirit brought you together. The Holy Spirit brings that to you. To them. And there are those that will 
they do what the Bible terms as quenching the spirit. They, it's like taking a bucket of cold water and throwing it on the spirit when the spirit is leading to guide. So when the Holy Spirit rouses me at one, two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning and I'm tossing a little bit and I go to scripture, I pick it up or the spirit is just talking to me. That's okay with me. It must be okay with me. I am about my father's business. And a part of his business is that I get up that early and I talk to the Holy Spirit. And and sometimes I'll get up and go right into the Bible or go to the daily reading that I do in the day or get up and I do his podcast. There's not a time clock on this. I do it pretty much whenever I come to it, but I always try to make sure that it's This is an important part of my day. And truthfully and honestly and righteously, that really is the most important part of my day is to be about my father's business. It must be that way. And so many turn away from that. Okay. Continuing on, I think I just made up another word because I looked in the dictionary and can't find it. But that's okay because I'm going to use it and I'm not going to leave you baffled. But being that tomorrow, according to calendaric practices, I looked that word up, couldn't find it anywhere. But it just means that Adhering to the calendar holidays and dates and events that take place because Mammon wrote up a calendar that way and that's just the way it is. And here's the thing. You have to remember this. You have to know this and be aware of this. And I shared this with, I shared this back when things were in a really, well, not that they're not now, but in uh, in the campaigning and all this thing and so much stuff and mudslinging and all that, you have to remember this, that simply because you have 5 million, 500 million, 10 million ignorant people that are declaring that a cheetah is the same as a leopard does not make it so. Now, Hold on tight to your safety bars and pull the seatbelt up because here's the wildest. Here we go. Continuing that wild ride. Ignorance has nothing to do with stupidity. Ignorance simply means a lack of information. So when people are not aware of something or they don't have information about something, you have individuals that will just make it up on the fly. Oh, yeah. Cheetah and leopard are the same thing. They just have different spots, but they're the same. And you know that how? Well, they just are. Well, no, they just aren't. They're two different species. Their physicality is different, and they function differently, and they actually appear different, not just the spots. Pay attention. But people will tend to do that a lot, And you have those that claim to be in the know and to be 
scientists and those that have knowledge that they're actually not. Case in point, Sanhedrin, Pharisees, and <laughs> I was, and, and this comes to light because here, you have to be very cautious. Here is this supposed to be a ministerial um yeah, I was on I was on scrolling through some things and I happened to be on this one thing and it was supposed to be a ministerial posting and they were declaring and part of the headline was here here's um they 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 listed they they made a list of some stuff that that Few, it's, I think how it read is a few, I just deleted it because it was frivolous. It was also a lie. It was not truth. Um, and the spirit led me away. I started to read it and I thought, okay, this is curious. This is interesting. But it said um, something, it had a number listed of things that few Christians actually know. And after I read a couple of them and then a couple that I know were absolutely not even according to the Bible, and they're talking about, they didn't even mention the Bible at all, so I'm not sure what minister or who this person was, but I just deleted it because there were things that were so totally grievous and not true and not even according to the word of God. But here's my cautionary point. Don't get caught up in that, as I shared with you, that calendaric issue and, and what they believe is that tomorrow is Easter Sunday, wherein it's believed or notated that on that calendar and that the event is tomorrow is the day that we celebrate that Christ rose from his crucifixion. Well, just throwing this out there to kind of stir up the water. What says tomorrow's the day? There's nowhere in print, not even a specific, so you can find a calendaric date, and why are you having to look for one? And here's, here's the point, actually, that I'm trying to make. Just like I do with the Christmas carols and those songs that individuals decided that they were sung at Christmas time, and what denotes that Christmas time, as we have it on a calendar, on the 25th of December, every year is Christmas, and that's when we celebrate, supposed to be celebrating the birth of Christ. However, most everybody celebrates a little guy in a red suit with white fur that lives in the North Pole, and he's a uh, magically imbued gnome or elf or some whatever it is, but he comes in and in a 24-hour period of time, he delivers packages and gifts to every child and every household in the world because he's magic. And that's what a lot of people celebrate. And sadly, I used to hound him about this when I was living somewhere else. I used to see these little communities and all this stuff and they they used to have signs that big signs that would say Christmas parade 
Come, join us, celebrate, da-da-da, on such and such a date and such and such a time. Wow. And then I saw a sign that replaced that, which was smaller. And what it said was, the name of the town, Xmas Parade, watch for detours. Xmas Parade? See, I have a problem with that because all of these, they, they, this is back when there was, nobody was flying. I mean, all sorts of stuff just going, there, oh, people will be offended if we call it. Look, I, <laughs> I get stuttering and stammering about that because as long as I, from when I was a child and raised around that particular little place and ever since I was a kid, it was always called a... You didn't see any store. You didn't see any part of the township, any part of the village, any part of the city, or when you went to another city, never saw a sign that said Xmas. It always said Christmas. And when you had the individuals where it started happening a little at a time, these window painters, they got tired of painting out the whole sign. I used to do that for a time, so you have to, it's actually hand-painted, and you have to paint it on and letter it and be very careful in that. And it's like a stenographer's shorthand. I wanted to shorten stuff up. But the thing of it is, is that the word Christmas actually is kind of a, com uh, it's a combination word that actually means more Christ, Christmas, Mas Christ um, comes from a Latin phrase, change around, and of course how everything becomes anglicized. But what they're doing is they're crossing Christ out of Christmas and a real reason that we celebrate as we do. And a lot of people don't realize that the reason that Christmas trees Christmas trees, evergreen trees, are taken into the house. Now, it used to be decades ago that they didn't do that. They left it alive and living in the yard, and they would decorate and do things, but they didn't cut it down. And then people started figuring out that they could make money, and then they'd bring it in the house. But the reason that they brought it in the house wasn't to stick the presents and things under. This was an evergreen tree. Now, there's different trees that grow out in the forest and different trees that grow around us. You have what's called a deciduous tree and an evergreen tree. Deciduous means that during the change of the seasons that their leaves are going to change color. And many times, many of them, the leaves will actually fall off and there's nothing left. And evergreen trees, especially if you water them and keep them alive, they're going to stay green all year round. But if you don't water them and you keep them in long enough, as we used to do, we used to keep that in the house for a really long time. And the needles would start to dry out and they'd fall off because we didn't keep it rooted and we didn't keep it watered. But if you water it and the tree sucks up the water, it will stay green. Well, this is actually a celebration toward and leaning more toward what Christmas is about. Christ. 
Christ is alive evermore. He was, he is, and will be. And it was celebrating that life. Just like Easter, we celebrate this as a calendaric event. However, we are not even sure that this is exactly when it happened. We're just celebrating this at a point in time because it's easiest for us to celebrate it as a one given day. So Mammon decided that they're going to do that. Not a bad thing, but we got to remember something here. And the point that I'm trying to make is why are we celebrating Easter is only this at this particular time? We should be celebrating it all the time, just like Christmas, carols. Oh, come all ye faithful. It's not just a Christmas carol. You need to listen to the lyrics, hear what's being said, listen to what's being said, and believe what's being said. It talks about the, the rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. What does the Bible tell us about nature? And that those individuals that stand before God and say, well, hey, you know, I didn't know. How was I supposed to know? God's going to look down at them with a slate scowl. And he's going to all you had to do is look around you. For my heaven and nature sang of the truth. All you had to do was listen to it. Brothers and sisters, all we have to do is look around. It's not just at Christmas time to celebrate that. And heaven and nature sings all the time. They don't just do it on the 25th of December and they get together and say, okay, here we go. And then they do it like the carolers going down the street. And the birds all gather at this particular time of day and they do this performance and then they come back later and do that performance on that particular day. It's happening all the time. And you hear the echoes if you go out in the canyon sometimes. I'm, this is pretty amazing. i share this with you. I'm going to anyway. When you hear echoes and you holler out, I remember that was, you should get a kick out of it. When I was a kid, you get up at the end of the canyon and you holler. And you can hear the echo. And uh, I first learned this. My scoutmaster shared that. And let me tell you, back in my day when I was in scouts, there wasn't all this stuff that was going on that they tried to make such a production out of and, and how it turned into such a bad thing. Back in those days, learned about nature, were taught about wild things, were taught about how to do things, and it wasn't all about anything else except that and a place for kids to be and to learn things and to take care of things and to be out there in nature. And what was really great about the particular organizations that I belonged to, we went out and we would pray over supper. We took time to pray. We took time to learn about the Bible. Pretty potent. And whenever I went to visit some other churches with other friends. I'd look around, and there I saw our scout leaders. That was amazing for me. But the echo, and the echo would be out there, and sometimes I've been in some wild places and just would hear echoes coming from the camp. Where is that coming from? 
what is doing that? And sometimes you would hear other animals that would be loud enough and it would cause an echo. I used to go to Yosemite Valley in the middle of winter. I love Yosemite Valley in the middle of wintertime. There's hardly anybody there. And it's quiet. And you can go out and walk at night. And at night, the moon, on a, on a clear moonlit night, the, the moon is so bright that it reflects off the surface of the, of the ground. And it's actually pretty bright out there. And you will hear elk in the distance when they're trumpeting. Sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you'll hear a bear will kind of growl. Or maybe he's mad because you're out there walking around at night and it's bothering him and he's out looking. Bears don't hibernate all winter time, depending on what kind of bear. And even depending on what their gender is. But they get up. It's like waking up at night for a midnight snack. They'll get up in the middle of winter time. They get up because they get... they turned a little bit and then all of a sudden the hunger pang started so they got up and they went out to find something to eat but hearing all of those things and I used to love it out there because I would stand out in the middle of this glade it was beautiful it was just there was nothing there except snow and a couple sparse trees that were far enough away but it was wide open and I would look up at the side of the mountains And I would see God. The clouds were moving over the face of the mountains, moving through the wind that was blowing up there that was not blowing in the canyon, but it was moving across the face of the mountains. And I would see him moving over that thing that he created. And he was out there. And he was sharing time with me. My father, God, does that so often. All you have to do is open your eyes and look around. Tomorrow's Easter Sunday. Kind of got off point here a little bit. I get that way when I get to in the Word of God and sharing. I want to share so much that I could be like John. John was asked not to if he would change his teachings a little bit and talk about something other than the love, God's love, and all that. And he said, "Oh yeah, I could do that." Well, for about the first couple minutes, John was preaching about other things that were important but then came right back to the point, the central point that you need to remember and never forget. And then he went on and he taught and he shared. And it's really kind of funny because I I was looking some of these things up and biblically it's there, but out in the outside world, when you try to find anything in books relative to it, it says that John never preached a sermon. Well, When you stand in front of a congregation and you're a guest speaker in a church and you talk to them for over three hours, that's kind of sounds like a sermon to me. So anyway, you have those out there in the world that want to say whatever they want to say. But John taught about love and he talked about it for so long that people were falling asleep and they were napping and it was no big deal about it. In some churches you have those, this is what ushers were appointed to do in some churches when somebody was nodding off of all sleep, they would go through up and down the aisles and they'd reach in with a long stick and they'd tap them, wake them up. You weren't allowed to do that. 
Well, on this particular day, they were going and people were leaving to go eat because they were getting hungry. And I think that their growling stomachs or hunger pains were going to roar louder than what John was doing. So they would go get something to eat. They'd come back or they'd get food and they'd come back. And that those people that had taken a short nap woke up and they were still there and they were worshiping more. They didn't go anywhere. And now, unfortunately... And I don't point this at the pastors, I point this at the body because the pastors are trying to adhere to a point that they need to stop so that people can get to the games and the other things that they've got to do and all this stuff. But you know what? It's God's business. And if God decides that the pastor is gonna take a little bit longer for delivery on this particular Sunday, it should just happen. Period. Quit looking at your wristwatch. But tomorrow being Easter Sunday, according to Calendaric and Mammon's pushing for, the point that I'm making to this is, should we not be celebrating all year long? Why do we wait to have a special celebration or have a special sermon or a special teaching on Easter Sunday. Why just on Easter Sunday? It's something that should be celebrated all year long and every day, actually. Get this. Jesus, our true Lord, as the only begotten Son of God. So I'm going to share, I started thinking about it, and I went to look for it. I knew that it wasn't going to be a whole long list of definitions because beget is very pretty specific. And begotten, of course, is a past tense of that thing, beginning. So when you talk about Jesus being, he was begotten of God or begat, begotten, begot beginning. So there's only two definitions in the dictionary about that. And both of them are pretty profound. Think about it. Don't go the wrong way with this. Stay on, stay on track. So, especially of a male parent to, as they talk here in procreation, and procreation means to establish a continuance of offspring or to generate, and then, of course, in the parentheses, it says offspring. Jesus was with God, in God. God was in him from the beginning, always with him. But God determined, because of his, Jesus's being begotten, because of the sadness that he was feeling in his heart. Yes, our emotions come from God, so God does feel sadness. And why was he sad? He was sad because this 
world and this creation that our Father loves so much, turning their back, hurting each other, lying, deceiving, cheating, and stealing, and then giving us individuals that are trying to steer us to the right direction, the right course of study, and keep us going toward that thing that we turn against it, turn our backs it. And he was so sad, and he didn't want to happen what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened during the days of Noah. So here's the other definition of beget, begotten, begetting Jesus. To cause, produce, and effect. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. I'm going to sip on my coffee here because the devil's really trying to work on my not being able to speak clearly. However, I rebuke that because I'm about my father's business. Think about that. To cause, produce, and effect. Has the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, the only one and the only way to God is through him. Has that not caused an effect, an astounding effect on lives? That if we do believe that it's truth, and as a true believer, a true Christian, not a self-proclaimed or a label head, as I call many individuals, because they like people to see them and see what they're acting about. But as Jesus tells us, and the Bible tells us, they have received their reward. They're not working toward that end, and that's to save as many as they can as possible. But they're looking for attention, just like the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees when they walked through the marketplace, or when they went out to the market, they were bobbing and weaving up and down and causing a great stir and a great commotion. And they were getting the attention. And that is what they were looking for. They weren't looking for speaking the truth, just like when Jesus spoke before them and he told them, he said, you wouldn't know the truth. You claim to know the truth, but here this truth stands right in front of you. And yet because of your scholarly knowledge, that you profess, but you don't have wisdom. If you were wise, you wouldn't declare that the only begotten Son of God, this great cause and effect that he sent here so that the earth was not going to be consumed as it was, destroyed as it was. He didn't want that to happen. But when Jesus comes again, to take those of us who really truly believe and are not looking for just to be out there and and seeing bobbing and weaving, but we're trying to do all the right things and staying. God knows that we are weak. Here's the thing that many people get so wrong. They screw it up terribly. They're waiting to the time that they get washed and clean to become holy so that they can come and do something. What a bunch of poppycock and what an excuse. 
First of all, God knows that we are not perfect. He knows that we are scarred. He knows that we're bashed and broken and bruised. But here's, here, here's a revelation for you. Jesus was battered and bruised for our iniquities, for those things that we do wrong. By his stripes, we are healed. We are forgiven for our transgressions. Beaten so that we can be changed. He made this huge, we were talking about this in Bible study, life group. Thank you, Kenneth. But what kind of changes, exchanges were made at the cross? Jesus became all the things that we had and were. And when Jesus was hanging on that cross and he cried out to Lord God Almighty, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that instant, Jesus had taken every single sin, all those things that were wrong in the world, and our heavenly Father turned away from him, but for an instant, but he couldn't even, he couldn't stand to even look <clears throat> on his only begotten son because he had taken all of that on himself. But in his might and majesty that of course is this heavenly virtue, that that was transformed and changed And then, of course, there are the Pharisees down there at the bottom of the stairs is the Sanhedrin. <clears throat> and he looked at them and they're jeering and throwing dirt clods and rocks and things at Jesus and spitting toward him. They couldn't reach him, of course. He was up on the cross. <clears throat> Pardon me. But then he lifted his eyes and he looked in heaven and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They heard him say this. As if this great big hand came out and grabbed their upper lip and bottom lip and just slammed it together. Shut your pie holes because my son is praying forgiveness over you who brought him here. But little do you know that it was for that purpose to this end. And brothers and sisters, we have many out and about, as I shared with you toward the beginning here, that we have to be cautious because there are many, there are many, many, many falsehoods. Just like that individual, the appearance was that it was good word, but in depth, it was actually falsehoods and declaring that individuals that were actually not what they were, were what they were. <laughs> uh, I know that, that caught you all a little off guard. Well, the declaration was making that they were something that they actually were not. And the truth be told, if you read the word of God, you find this to be so, the truth of this very thing. And then they were trying to be corrective of the word of God. But here's the thing, that they, the point that they were making is that many Christians 
And I would, I would challenge what was said, as I do often anyway, that if you are a true believer and you are indeed a Christian, which means of Christ or Christ-like, which is exactly what that term means, Christian, and you're not just a label head, you don't write that word on a piece of tape and put it on your forehead so you walk around and people will see that that's so, and you don't make the declaration because lions don't need to go around and keep doing that. They don't need people to know that they're a lion. People just know it. So, what am I saying? I'm saying that if you are a true believer and you are a Christian and you are doing that thing that God calls us to do, and if you're in the word of God, the truth, our guidebook, our roadmap, our instruction manual, and if you are in the word of God and you are following his tenets and you are doing what he has called you to do, then people are going to know you are a Christian. And I love this, I, I love this old song because what is most important, and you find it everywhere in the Bible, everywhere, all through the Bible. And I didn't realize that there's actually scripture that shares this. It's all the way back in Genesis. I thought Deuteronomy was the first one, but it's not. Um, God is talking about being of good courage, be strong, be upright, and I'm with you. But here's the thing that we have to remember. God is that way because he is love. He loves us as his children. We have accepted that, that we are his children. As a true believer, not just a mouthpiece, but as a true believer, and that in our actions, people are gonna see it. And I used to love this song, and now it rings I, the, the verses ring true so much. It's so profound because of John's testimony and his teachings and Paul's teachings and Jesus teaching us. They will know we are Christians. By what? By our love. By our love. They will know that we are Christians. Not they will think we are Christians. Not for it seems like we're Christians. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. That's it. That song's been around for a long time. I think I was in junior high school when I first heard it. And the first time that I sang it, man, it was pretty, we were out, out around a uh, campfire and as in a church camp. They will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. And what does Jesus tell us? That we are to share that love with everyone around us. That love that God has put into us is profound and so deep that we have no imaginings our finite minds cannot even imagine the depth of his love. And we try to figure it out with our finite mind and we can't. It just becomes more mysterious. The mystery of God. And sadly, 
There are those that when they can't figure it out, they turn away because they figure out, they think, they believe, like the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, which incidentally as this this falsehood that was going around, it wasn't a secret organization. People knew of the Sanhedrin. They knew what they were. They knew that the, the Sadducees were those that believed only in the law of Moses and, the, and they maybe their tenets are what they actually believed. They believed in the books, the first five books, the scrolls of Moses, because they were into the law, the law, the law, the law. And they declared Moses' law. Well, it wasn't Moses' law. It was the law of God that was given to Moses to deliver to the nation. And then you had the Pharisees who read all of the Torah because they believed not only in the books of the prophets, but they believed in the law also, and they tried to apply it as a whole piece. This wasn't some secret, secret organization like the Zealots were. Now, the Zealots, Zealots, however you want to pronounce it, the assassins that would kill if you weren't doing what they believed you should be doing, they would kill you. And that's what they were trained to do. But more in tune, they were going to assassinate Roman uh, or Greeks or any of those that were in the uh, political arena that were forcing, they were forcing their hand. Well, so the Sanhedrin was not a secret organization. It was actually, well, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would go out and they paraded around. They did a lot of parading. And they're always declaring the law of Moses. Yeah, here's, remember that it wasn't his law, it was law that he was given to deliver. Moses was a delivery guy. But here we're going to go back to my point. As God declares, and as we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, when God is first talking about, don't be afraid, be of good courage, be strong. And that he's going to be with us always. Why? Because he loves us. In Genesis 28, 15, we find that God is speaking and declaring and delivering to them, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The Holy Spirit is speaking, so I'm listening to what was being said, hence my pause. But we read through the Bible, a lot of these things, talking about the land and the promised land and these different things, and and he's talking physicality-wise, but there's also an analogy there. And what I believe that God is, is saying to us and what we need to hold on to in his Bible is that we are his creation. We are his children. He desires for us to be that way. And this is one thing that he wants us to not follow the tenets of Satan with the white noise interference of his minions and the untruths and the lies, deceit that he tries to prosper on this plane of existence to keep us separate from our father. Until I have done what I promised you, And I will bring you back to this land. What land is he talking about? He's talking about our land. He's talking about our kinship with Jesus Christ, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ to the kingdom of heaven. He created us. He sent us 
we came as children to our earthly parents and but the thing of it is that he promises to be with us all the time. We have to be strong, be upright, be bold, be courageous. Don't be afraid that he is with us wherever we go. And remember, I shared that with you, that he's not talking about point A to point B. He does, I mean, and he, he is too. But the overall, the spectrum of wider circles is that it's not just point A to point B, but wherever we go, to the mountaintop of joy, to the valleys of grief, and to that mundane in-between where we're just kind of trudging through and going to work and doing our daily thing. But he is with us wherever we go, and he promises that. Until I have done what I have promised you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God promises to give us everlasting life. He promises that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Brothers and sisters, we have to just remember those things and practice those things. In Romans eight thirty one, this is powerful. And honestly, sometimes in, in the midst of some of the things that I go through, and I've been going through some really, really pretty hard stuff, the devil really tries to drive me away from this. But in Romans 8.31, and remember that Romans 8, that's our letter of adoption. My adoption letter from God. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us. Whoa. The sovereign Lord, God, Abba, Yahweh, he is for me. Yes, he tells us he is for us all the time. Who or what can be against us? All this white noise interference that Satan throws at us and you have individuals that are sharing that they've been had their joy robbed. He's robbed my joy. He's robbed my happiness. I can't go to church today. I can't testify today. I can't share the word today because I have no joy. I have no happiness because I'm allowing the happenings that are going on all around me to govern my happiness. On the joy of the Lord, I don't have it because Satan took it. Now you gave it away. Yes, yes, you gave it away. And I find that there's times where I do, but I reach out and I grab it back because I realize almost as soon as I've done it, it's what am I doing? Where am I going? Cut it out. And then I rebuke that white noise interference. I rebuke the words that are being spoken in my ear that I've taken the time to even listen to. And here's part of that profound word. Remember, this only begotten son that he did that. Remember what I shared with that word, <coughs> beget? To cause, produce as an effect. Jesus coming to this plane of existence that we are on, that we are happening to inhabit our residence here. 
And what does the word tell us? In Paul's letter to the Hebrews in 13a, Jesus Christ, Jesus, Savior, Christ, anointed of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are going to be in that with him, with our Father, because he's bringing us back to that land that he promised. And he promised. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Whatever, I'm going to change the wording a little bit because this is something that we really have to remember. This is part of that showing out thing and that the Sanhedrin, when they get out and parade around the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they go out there and they bob and weave and they wear all that thing. So people can't mistake who they are. They do that for a reason. And they like it when they go through the marketplace that people just kind of bow to them and then back away to open up a big pathway through there. And when they were on the road to Damascus, they wouldn't even touch the man who had fallen. Oh, we can't touch that person. They had to make us unclean. We don't know who's touched him that was unclean and therefore it will make us unclean instead of praying over him and tending to his wounds and his knees. Needs. They stepped over him and around him, and some even came, and they walked across to the other side of the roadway so they wouldn't be near him. How preposterous is that? Pharisaical thinking. Colossians 3.17, Paul writes these, and he tells them, and whatever you do in word or deed, and this is... Similar to what Jesus was telling us, that your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. So you show out that whatever you're saying is truth. So if you're going to tell somebody yes, then it's going to be yes. And if you tell somebody no, then it's going to be no. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God the Father through him. And remember, brothers and sisters, that when we get to God, we go one way. One way and one way only. And that's through Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ. Not these other individuals that are declaring themselves to be something that they are not, because they cannot be, they are not, and there is something special in store for them. So these individuals that are declaring their congregation, their church, their temple, their prayers and their strength and their might, and they keep claiming that and they keep, if they do not repent, I'm sharing this with you right here and right now, and I don't care who comes knock on my door looking because it's gonna be the same thing then as it is now. They're liars, deceivers, and stealers of your salvation rather than enhancers of that thing because nothing that they do, nothing that I do can or will save you. The only thing that, can, that I can do by what I testify and what I share is to give you the opportunity to come and say, I do believe that Jesus is your only son, your only begotten son, the only one, only one, because the Bible tells us, his only begotten son, not these other perverts, these other liars, these other deceivers, these other stealers that declare that they are Christ. 
because there's only one. And in my Bible, in my word, there's nothing in there that tells about prophecy that there's gonna be, this guy's gonna come and be Christ and he's gonna take you away. What it tells us many times, there will be deceivers that will come, lie, cheat, and steal. And some of them are gonna be so good at what they do that even the elect will be fooled. What does that mean? Who are the elect? The elect are those that say that they're Christian, that they're believers. And yet they're gonna have some of these deceivers that are so powerful. And then of course, too, we know the Antichrist. Antichrist, the one who is claiming to be, but not because he's actually against Christ. Antichrist, gonna be powerful. And even the elect will be fooled and say, oh, that's gotta be the son of God. Oh, excuse me, have you not been reading the Bible all this time and been warned that this is gonna take place and been warned that there is only one and that did you see the heavens split open and did you see the heavenly host come from heaven? Did you hear the trumpet sound immediately before that? Did the entire world kneel down and say that, oh, you're Lord of Lord, King of King? Brothers and sisters, the Bible gives specific things that are gonna take place because there are things that are going to happen that are going to draw our attention. And this is like being on the mountainside when you have all the heavy winds, the thunder and the lightning and all that stuff going on all around us. Are you gonna give up and just let it go? So I'm going to go back because the Spirit just brought me back into Isaiah. And this is, I think I wrote it down a footnote someplace. I can't recall. Maybe I did in the beginning of the book. I'm sorry. I'm thinking out loud. Mutter, 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 mutter. Sorry about that. But um, there's a time frame here. And we're talking about approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. Before he was born. And then, of course, you have about 30-some years when he was crucified. But So this is written 700 years, 730 years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So trust in God and have faith. So I'm going to read Isaiah 59, 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And remember, Jacob was renamed Israel. So if you turn from and you repent from whatever it is that you're doing, and we have been given that opportunity to do so, and what is that standard? And Jesus was said that he must be lifted up so that those who are falling or failing can lift up and look and see him, much as Moses did. And a lot of people get into controversy about this. The bronze snake, when everybody was getting 
bitten because of their foolishness, which is actually what that's all about. And then, of course, Joshua tried to make an issue about it. But Moses said, hey, God told me to do this, and this is what I'm doing. They're not, they weren't worshiping the snake. They weren't idolizing the snake or praying to the snake as an idol. God said, put that up. And because of the snakes coming in and the vipers biting them and they're being poisoned and many are dying, if they lift their eyes up and quit looking down at the ground, quit their grumbling and complaining, and they lift their eyes up and they look. And this I send to you as a sign that they will be healed. Jesus was lifted up. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin tried to pummel him, beat him into submission, but he was lifted up. And from that thing that they wanted to be a punishment and take his position and his authority from him, but it failed to do so. It just lifted him to a position where then they had to look and see. And those foolish men, that were standing down there throwing clods and rocks and spitting at him. And then when the voice of the Lord came out and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They dropped the rocks, they dropped their dirt clods and they stopped spitting and they were just, I believe, I wasn't there so I don't know, but I believe that they just, Some, if they were wise, not just knowledgeable, but if they were wise, they would have fallen on their knees and prayed forgiveness. I don't think that they did because they were too caught up in self-awareness. But much like those that came in the crowd to stone the woman because they told Jesus, when they brought her, that they found her in an adulterous situation. They were going to stone her. And of course, Jesus in his knowledge, infinitely of the situation already, and he declared to them that any of you that are without sin, you cast that first stone. Didn't mention it, but I I believe that if somebody had deceptively caught tossed a rock because he already knew that there were none there that could. So it didn't happen, but they just dropped their stones and they turned and they walked away. And then he told her, go and sin no more. You are forgiven. Your condemners, they're all gone. Neither do I condemn you. And the thing that we have to remember is there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Jesus didn't come, and that pervert that was trying to say that that God in sending Jesus to the cross, and if we don't accept that, then we are condemned and God condemns us, that pervert took everything out of context. Doesn't anywhere say that. What it says is that if we choose not to believe, then we condemn ourselves. God does not condemn any of us. Does not condemn any of us. God is not about that. That's Satan. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the truth and after his spirit. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers and my going out and my coming in every day.